Well, it was the winter of 1935, bitterly cold in the heart of the Great Depression, when Mayor LaGuardia one night visited the night court in the poorest ward of New York City. And he dismissed the judge, as was his right to do, and he took the bench himself. And a tattered old woman was brought before him. And she told the judge, my daughter's husband has deserted her. She's sick and her children are starving. And so the woman had stolen a loaf of bread. The shopkeeper from whom she had stolen the bread refused to drop the charges. He said, it's a bad neighborhood, your honor, and she's got to be punished to teach other people a lesson. So LaGuardia sighed and told the grandmother, I've I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions, $10 or 10 days in jail. And while he was pronouncing that sentence on her, he reached into his own pocket, took out a $10 bill, threw it into his hat with these famous words, here's the $10 fine, which I now remit, and furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in the courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. And the bailiff collect the fines and give them to the defendant. And $47.50 was collected and turned over to the bewildered grandmother. Bewildered. That is a fitting word, isn't it? When you see mercy, when you receive mercy, and that's what the grandmother got. She did not get what she deserved. How much more bewildered? should you and I be mystified, amazed by the undeserved mercy of God. We're not precious, old, tattered grandmothers. That would make mercy cheap. We're more like hardened criminals because we are hardened by our sin. Often we're hardened in our sin and that God should stay his hand and withhold from us what we as guilty people deserve should bewilder us. Are you bewildered, amazed, mystified by the mercy of God? I pray that you will be as we return this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1 and talk about God's mercy. We've got to worship and love God more devotedly because of it. So if you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to take them out now and turn to 1 Peter, the first chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And when you found your place, if you'll stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Father, your word is the bread of life. You are the bread of life. Your living word. Feed us through it. Bless us as you break your word to us this morning. Through the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I mentioned last week, verses 3 through 5 are one long sentence as the Apostle Peter was inspired to write them. One long, can't catch your breath, can't keep up with your heart, glorious gush of flowing phrases about who God is and about what God has done. And because the sentence is so long, I want us to break it down briefly and see how it's structured. If you'll look in verse 3, the second sentence, you see there the word mercy. According to God's great mercy, God has. And then what follows are three gifts of God's mercy. Because of his mercy, God has caused us to be born into a living hope. Because of his mercy, God has given us an inheritance in heaven. Because of his mercy, God is guarding us by his power until he takes us home. All of these gifts, a living hope, an inheritance in heaven, the protection of our Father result from the mercy of God. Now, in order that all the ridicule that was heaped upon me at this past year's Christmas party by a certain community group, which shall go nameless, in order that that not be unjustified, I'm going to tell you yet another story about my grandmother, who, yes, was from West Virginia. Y'all happy now? (laughs) To make it worse, I've already told this story. So now at next year's party, that said group can say, his mind's slipping a little bit. He's repeating himself, bless his heart. But here's this, if you don't remember this story, then I get to say, oh, they don't remember what I said. Bless their hearts. In any case, it was Christmas Day. And my grandmother had a gift on her lap and her children and grandchildren were gathered around to view the unwrapping, an act that my grandmother always performed with great reverence so as not to tear the paper and offend the person who had so lovingly wrapped it. And when she finally removed the lid, she looked inside the box and she declared in the sweetest, kindest voice, well, I don't know what it is, but I sure do need it. (laughs) Well, here we are with this gift of mercy, one of those all-star theological terms on our laps. We know we need it. But we're not always sure what it is or why we really need it so much. So since all these amazing gifts come to us from the mercy of God, 
And if we'll truly be bewildered and mystified and amazed and worship God more deeply and more devotedly because of his mercy, it seems like we ought to understand what it is. So first this morning, I'm going to define what mercy is, and then we're going to look at or make four observations about mercy. So here's the definition. Mercy is kindness or concern expressed for someone in need. Compassion, pity, clemency. I'll repeat that. Mercy is a kindness or concern expressed for someone in need. Compassion, pity, clemency. Now, the first observation to make about mercy is this. And this one's vitally important. Mercy is part of the character of God. Mercy is part of the character of God. Look in verse 3. We read there, according to his mercy. And this word, according, it's very important. Because it means in conformity with. Mercy, kindness, concern for someone in need, compassion. They are in conformity with who God is. The word according is also a marker of homogeneity. And homogeneity means the quality of being all the same. The quality of having a uniform structure or composition throughout. Throughout his being, God is merciful. Is that good news? Sometimes I feel like we believe that mercy is foreign to God's nature. And I don't mean to be irreverent, but sometimes I honestly think that we think that God had to go to anger management class, and there he learned mercy as a way of coping. But all the while, he's really fighting back this anger that still sometimes gets the upper hand over mercy. No, God is mercy. And you've got to remember that God is merciful, and it's according to his character to be so. The second observation is that the mercy of God is great. The mercy of God is great. God doesn't just extend to you and me a little mercy, a paltry amount. No, his mercy is to the greatest extent and to the highest level. Or as we sang this morning, his mercy is more. Whoever we are, Whatever our sin, his mercy is more. So let's think for a minute. Why does the mercy of God have to be so great? Why will not just a little mercy suffice? Let's start with the first commandment. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You said it. You know it. We're without excuse. No other gods, no idols, no anything before the Lord. Psalm 96 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So the highest reverence is due to our God from us. Total awe that places him above everything and everyone else in our life is due our God. Now let's move from the first commandment to the greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment? 
Well, Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy 6, says, The first and the greatest commandment is this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. There you have it. You know it. Faithful Jews were to repeat this verse from Deuteronomy twice a day to remind them that their total devotion belonged to God. So, total and complete reverence and awe for the onlyness and the holiness of God and complete heart, soul, mind, strength, love is due to him. So let me ask you this question. When is the last time your life looked like this? Let me be the first to answer and say never. Not one single day. We never fully give to God what he deserves because he is such an awesome God. Instead, we sin against his holiness. During the course of any given day, we love other things and we love other people way more than we love God. Someone has said, each time you sin, you commit the highest crime against the greatest being. Each time you sin, you commit the highest crime against the greatest being. That's why just a little mercy will never do. And that's why God's mercy toward us must be so great. Because we have so greatly sinned against the one who is the greatest. But the good news is that God's mercy is great. God's mercy is more. We should be bewildered, mystified, amazed that God would be so greatly merciful toward people like you and like me. The third observation is that mercy, it's an emotion. As this word was used in the secular Greek, emo, uh, mercy was a, an emotion aroused by contact with an affliction which comes undeservedly on someone else. And so you felt pity. You felt compassion for someone who had suffered some sort of undeserved tragedy. In the judicial sense, in Peter's world, your job was to arouse a feeling of mercy on the part of the judge. And so you can see then how the mercy of God is beyond any type of mercy that the world offers. The affliction that comes upon us because we sin against a holy God, it's not undeserved. It's well-deserved. We don't mortify sin in our lives. We don't put it to death because we don't always really believe that sin will kill us, and so we keep doing it. But listen, God knows. God knows that sin kills, steals, and destroys us. And so he is merciful toward us. And unlike the orders of Peter's day, we aren't required to arouse mercy in the heart of God. We aren't required to eloquently present a really good case to move the heart of God to feel pity 
and compassion on us. No, his mercy is already there. We don't have to talk God into being merciful to us. It's what he greatly feels toward us because God sees our affliction. Question 17 of the Shorter Catechism asks, into what estate did the fall bring mankind, all human beings? And the answer is, the fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Question 19 asks, what is the misery of the estate wherein man fell? And the answer is, all mankind, by their fall, lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all the miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. Wrath, curse, misery, hell forever. Am I actually standing in the 21st century? Could any words be more offensive to the hearer than these? It's why churches skirt around them on a regular basis so that everyone stays happy and no one feels bad and no one gets upset. But listen, I'm yelling, pardon me. <laughs> it's our condition. It's what we deserve. And if we don't understand and if we don't acknowledge what we deserve, God's mercy makes no sense to us. If we don't acknowledge, if we don't understand what we deserve, then we are bewildered in the wrong way. We look at this gift of mercy and we say, I don't know what it is and I sure don't need it. But to say again, you and I are not sweet little grandmas. Instead, we are born and bred hardened sinners who deserve God's wrath. We try to mitigate that reality a little by saying this. I've said it. You've probably said it. Well, God hates the sin, but he loves the... God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Wrong. God's wrath is against the sinner as well. And if you don't believe that you, you don't believe that, you won't need his mercy and you won't need his son, Jesus. But you and I need both. And that's why in his great mercy, this emotion God feels toward our condition, he sent Jesus. If you diminish your sin, then you diminish the work of Christ and the great mercy displayed on the cross. If you think mercy is not emotional, listen to this. Stephen Charnock, 17th century Puritan, Presbyterian pastor. Not all the vials of judgment that have or shall be poured out upon the wicked world give such a demonstration of God's hatred of sin as the wrath of God let loose upon his son. Never did divine holiness appear more beautiful and lovely than at the time our Savior's countenance was most marred in the midst of his dying groans. 
when God had turned his smiling face from him and thrust his sharp knife into his heart, which forced that terrible cry from him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God is merciful. Because mercy is something God feels. He did that for us. And those who respond to this, as I have heard so often in my life, people say, that's divine, cosmic child abuse. God sent his own son to die. You know what? They have not a clue what the Trinity means. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully merciful. Because Jesus feels mercy toward us and our condition and the hell to which it would lead us, Jesus willingly came to assuage his own wrath. Wrath required by his utter and perfect holiness. Jesus willingly became the only sacrifice by which God's wrath could be satisfied and by which one day all sin will be eradicated. Can you imagine? And death, the ultimate outcome of sin will be destroyed. Is that good news? To Christ be the glory. D.A. Carson writes, Wrath, unlike love, is not one of the intrinsic perfections of God. Rather, it's a function of God's holiness against sin. Where there is no sin, there is no wrath, but there will always be the love of God. When the sin is gone, the wrath is gone. Charles Spurgeon writes, God soon turns from his wrath, but he never turns from his love. And so I'll add this. Fourth observation. About God's mercy. It really ought to produce amazed devotion and wonder in us. If you saw your Bible, if you'll skip down to the very end of verse 12 of this chapter, if you don't, I'll read it for you. You'll see this phrase, things into which the angels long to look. These things are the mercy of God. That leads to the salvation that we have in Christ. For the angels looking on, this mercy is bewildering. I don't know how angels feel because angels are of a different order than we are. But I do imagine that they must have felt shock when they saw that first rebellion that first disobedience of Adam and Eve, it must have been one of those how could you do such a thing kind of moments similar to how siblings might feel. Their parents are good and decent and loving and kind and another sibling rebels against them. And they say, how could you? What are you doing? Perhaps there was the fear brought on the angels by not knowing what their holy God would do when he was sinned against or what he might call on them to do. Perhaps they were like James and John on that occasion when that village refused to welcome Jesus. And James and John said, Lord, 
Do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But no, didn't happen. The angels watched from heaven as the world unraveled because of sin. And then the angels watched as Jesus, the one with whom they had dwelt in heaven, left the glory of heaven to go to earth to rescue and save these people who never stop rebelling against God. And so they long, they long, they have this strong desire to understand this mercy of God that would bring about such a great and undeserved salvation. Let us see it. Let us understand it, they say, because they'll never, they'll never, angels will never experience this wonderful gift called mercy because they've not sinned. They'll never experience salvation because they don't need to be saved or rescued from anything. But because the love and the compassion and the grace of God compelled him to go to such great lengths to save and show mercy, they want to know what is this all about? It amazes them, the mercy of God does. Does it amaze you? God's great mercy fills them with wonder. Does it fill you with wonder? If I never had to repent of anything else in my life, I would at least have to repent often of the wrong thoughts that I have about God. And you probably have them as well. Images of a God who is not merciful or at least greatly merciful haunt our hearts, and our thoughts. We fear that there may not be more and more and more mercy. Do not fear. Oh, sinner, there will always be more great mercy of God. God is mercy. God's mercy is part of his character. God's mercy is great. God's mercy flows from a heart of emotion. His love for us, I pray that you will be bewildered by the mercy of God, that you would ask, how can it be? And that you would love him and worship him more devotedly because of it. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand your mercy. It's too great for us to comprehend, to fathom why you should give us what we don't deserve instead of giving us what we do deserve. Father, maze us by your mercy. Help us adore and worship you because of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.